BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Get outside and explore Chicago on a CAFC river cruise aboard Chicago's First Lady. Now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Called the number one boat tour in Chicago by TripAdvisor, CAC docents share the fascinating secrets and stories behind more than 50 famous buildings facing the Chicago River. Delight in panoramic views and hear how our hometown became world-renowned for its architecture. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. Today's show and every Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, and our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Let me tell you about voting by mail. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote-by-mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote-by-mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit votemailchicago.com. That's votemailchicago.com for call scripts and a petition. One more time. Vote. V-O-T-E. Mail. M-A-I-L. Chicago. C-H-I-C-A-G-O. Dot com to make sure that every voter in Cook County has safe and equitable polling. That's correct. College students. Are you looking for a way to get ahead this summer? Northwestern University is offering hundreds of undergrad courses online this summer. Choose an intensive sequence in learning. Registration is open now. Visit northwestern.edu summer for details. Hey, if you're listening to this and you own a business or you're like a, like a big wig in a union, we'd love to have you as a sponsor. Oh, Ben's reading the paper. Has the, I guess... <laughs> Folding the paper. There we go. All right. I'm trying to convince these people to sponsor our show. Stop doing that. All right. If you own a business or you're in a union and you want to be a sponsor of this program, well, we'd love to have you. All right. I can make a commercial. Ben can do a live read. I don't know. We can make a song. Who knows? Whatever your brain wants, we can probably come up with. Reach out to Tracy Bame and contact someone at the Chicago Sun-Times. They would love to talk with you. All right. Your Ben Jarofsky show starts now. It is Tuesday, July 28th, and live from Ben's Attic in my apartment, 
This is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the return of the director of the Black Harvest Film Festival, Sergio Mims. And now your host, director of nothing, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here, calling this Back Pages Tuesday. And here's why. Great week. You have a good weekend, D? Yes, I actually did. Oh, really? Yeah. Whoa. Wow, you didn't know what that? Happened? No, it's you're standing up. I can see your shirt. Oh, by the way, just so everybody knows, uh, I am in my attic and Dennis is at his apartment, uh, but I can watch him on the TV. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what did you do again? I forget. I went to a cemetery, the cemetery where Shel Silverstein was buried. It was awesome. Yeah, the great Shel Silverstein, uh, Chicago's finest poet, or one of them. Uh, he wrote many great songs and many great poems. Uh, and Dennis and Danny Pogoshelsky went to the cemetery together. We're going to bring Danny on one of these days to talk about the tour. So he can give like a virtual tour. Uh, Dennis, uh, they, similar to the one uh, that uh, Dennis got. Do you remember the other people that were buried in that cemetery, D? Yeah, sort of. Uh, I just knew Shel Silverstein, and I just pretended like I knew all the other ones that Dan was talking about. He's so smart. I am no, so is. not. Okay, that's not true. Jack uh, Ruby? Yeah, the great. Well, I, I hesitate to call him the great Jack Ruby, uh, but Jack Ruby, the man who uh, killed Lee Harvey Oswald, is also buried in that cemetery. I can go on and on about Jack Ruby, but I'll hold off. Anyway, we're going to bring Danny on to talk about that uh, the cemetery and some of the uh, Chicago history. Young Daniel knows a lot about Chicago history, uh, and uh, anyway, uh, my good friend Josh and his son Ethan and their ne- and his nephew Will stop by. I want to say thank you, Josh, for stopping by. That was part of my weekend i sat out in the backyard social distancing and chatted about this that and the other thing six feet six feet and uh we weren't wearing masks because it was like 10 feet okay show's over i'm done (laughs) everybody was safe and sound and it was a pleasure uh talking to uh josh uh will and ethan and i'm happy to say young ethan was raised the right way his favorite quentin tarantino movie Jackie Brown. Speaking of Jackie Brown, uh, I saw for the like the 452nd time Soul Men, which is definitely my top 50 movies of all time. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw that, D. Bernie Mac. I think it's Bernie Mac's last movie. And it made me feel so sad because I love Bernie Mac. He's so good in this movie with Samuel Jackson. That's the Jackie Brown connection. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, you know, uh, and uh, great movie. Soul Men. Uh, didn't get, it got lousy reviews when it came out. I don't understand why. I saw it when it came out. And I rented it once and watched it again. Great flick. Soul Men made my uh, weekend. Anyway, I woke up to discovered changes at the Tribune, the Chicago Tribune, uh, involving our favorite not uh, columnist, jump shot Johnny Cass. One more time, millennials. One more time, D. I'm going to explain it for our, our millennial listeners. There's a Johnny Cass, who's a right-wing columnist for the Chicago Tribune. And then there's a Johnny Cash, who's one of the greatest singers of all time. Right, D? You're Johnny right. Cash. Millennials, you sh- I give you. All right. A lot of millennials, you don't pay attention to the newspapers. So you may not know a columnist. So many people like millennials will hear Ben Jarofsky. Who's that? <laughs> D, I've gotten used to it, okay? You know what I mean? There is no ego in this game. Who's that? That's like a common refrain. Huh? Never heard of him. 
So a lot of I was I was shocked one time I was in a uh, journalism class. This is a journalism class, Dave. All right, this is about ten years. No, this is more than ten. I was talking to a group of journalism students. All right, and uh, they all pretended like they knew me because the journalism teacher had invited me to the class, so they all had to pretend. And they, I think, as assignment, they had to read me. Well, I'm but sure there were like, one or two hippies in that class. You're probably right. The the guy smoking the reefer, he's the one who heard of me. I just made reference to the Chicago Tribune. Nobody knew who John Cass was. I was stunned. John Cass occupied, occupied page two. What the, We'll get to this. One of the most important spots in the newspaper. When newspapers were newspapers, page two, you get your newspaper. Follow me on this, millennials. Here, I will demonstrate. You get your newspaper. You look at the front page. There's all this news. Hmm, as deadline nears, G- G- GOP unveils plan. All right, that's news. Then you turn the page, page two, and that's where the that's where Mike Royko. Oh God, Mike. Suddenly, uh, young people are like who? I never heard of him. Anyway, I saw him at that his- cemetery too. Well, I didn't see him, but you know what I mean. Yes, he's buried at that cemetery as well. Mike Royko, one of perhaps the greatest newspaper columnist in the history of newspaper columns. There, I said it, D. Okay, yeah, I said it. Write the letters to me if you have complaints. <laughs> like anybody's going to weigh in on that one. It's not like saying, you know, oh, this is the greatest. Uh, Billy Bob is the greatest Nirvana song of all time. I just made up Billy Bob. I don't know if that's a Nirvana song. Anyway, so oh, uh, wait, we got an email here from the uh, on the Bendrowski show uh, email. Let me look here from Jay Cass. Huh? <laughs> he's upset with you that you said that about Mike Royko. I, I oh God, he thinks he's the greatest. Sorry, John Cass. You're no Mike Royko, and neither am I. There is only one Royko. Anyway. All right, so glad I was able to distinguish Johnny Cash, who sang A Boy Named Sue, which was written by Shel Silverstein, from Johnny Cass, who is a Chicago Tribune columnist uh, and uh, has been for many, many years. He is of the right-wing persuasion, far, far right. Uh, he, is, he, never, I don't, he doesn't literally wear the MAGA hat, but he clearly loves Trump and is of the Trump-supporting persuasion. Reading John Cass is like reading Breitbart. All right. So I uh, many of my liberal friends, they'll tell me, Ben, I don't read them. I've never I haven't read them in years. Uh, and they'll tell me that all the time. But I read them. I read them. Uh, well, he's in there four days a week. So that sounded I, a lot yeah. like Jim Coogan, by the way, that impression you did. OK, that's that's not my Jim Coogan impression. By the way, I've already had uh, like three emails or text messages with uh, Jim Coogan. He's following the William Barr testimony that's going in uh, down in Congress and we'll probably bring him back to talk about it in a couple of weeks. Our ace attorney uh, uh, friend at the Ben Jarofsky show. Anyway, back to John Cass. I read him because I have an open mind and I think maybe, you know, just maybe he might convince me uh, with uh, the logic, uh, his persuasive talents. But no, it hasn't really happened. He's so far right. I can't believe he hasn't fallen off uh, the earth. Every now and then he writes an article that I find completely and totally and utterly offensive, uh, like the one a few weeks ago where he uh, somehow or other denigrated uh, Martin Luther King, in my opinion. Uh, But uh, by and large, I just let him go. Last Wednesday was one that was really hard to let go. He wrote a column where he committed a rare twofer. Let me explain that, D. Uh, one fur is where he managed to insult just one ethnic group. Uh, and in this column, he's insulted two ethnic groups. He insulted Jewish Americans and black Americans. How Number did he two. do that? 
I'll tell you how he did that. He wrote a column in which he essentially said that Kim Fox, a black woman, is a puppet to George Soros, a Jewish man. Uh, and in doing so, he committed this uh, alt-right trope that somehow or other, George Soros, this fabulously wealthy hedge fund dude who gives the liberal causes, is secretly controlling like absolutely everything. And so this goes back, this is rooted in this uh, ancient anti-Semitic notion that behind the scenes, there's the evil cabal of Jewish men running everything. When the column came out, he was roundly insult. He was roundly criticized. The ADL criticized him. The Forer, which is a Jewish newspaper, criticized him. Many readers criticized him. And to their everlasting credit, I want to give a lot of love and shout out to my brothers and sisters at the Tribune Guild. Charlie Johnson was on the show last week. They criticized him. That showed a lot of guts. And my humble opinion that the uh, the reporters. The other columnists, they banded together and they let management know how offended they were by uh, that column. It was a very offensive column. And the Tribune should have apologized for it. Or the Tribune should have at least have confronted the issues and they tried to explain it. But no. It was silence. Until today, D. And then in today, there was a uh, editor's note on page two. So instead of a column on page two, there's an editor's note. And I'm saying that I go, uh oh, this looks like the Tribune's uh, version of a clarification. It was written by Colin McMahon, who's the editor in chief of the Chicago Tribune. Colin McMahon weighing in. No mention of John Cass's column. No mention of the anti-Semitic trope. No mention of insulting Kim Fox by making her out to be a puppet of, a, of George Soros. No mention of any of that at all. Instead, well, hate to say this, Tribune readers, he kind of threw you under the bus. He basically said that they are moving John Cass from page two to the editorial pages, to what Bob Dylan might call the back pages, okay? And he said it, they're doing this because you, the reader, are a little confused. Let me read to you Colin McMahon's explanation in today's Chicago Tribune. <clears throat> Dear reader, starting later this week, we're making some changes in the layout of the paper to make clearer what is news writing, what is news reporting, and is opinion writing. We are moving Chicago Tribune columnists and other staffers who write opinion pieces to a shared page that will appear adjacent to the editorial pages in the back of the first section. Oh, way to go, Cass. <laughs> screwed up, man. Everybody's got to go to the back pages now. By the way, back pages is a song by Bob Dylan, which I will now sing. I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. I guarantee you, D, the only person at the Tribune who knows that reference is Eric Zarn, because he plays the guitar. Oh, Ben, I love that song by Dylan. Anyway, here we go. Our interviews are sounding pretty good, huh, Zorn? Yeah! Yeah! That's correct! That's correct. Uh, ever since we did to the Google Meet, uh, Eric is a good friend of the show. He's been on the show a couple of times, but he wrote a, uh, so sent me an email. Go, Ben, uh, the quality of your sound sucks. Let's clean it up. Uh, did you hear this interview I did? And then he sends me an interview did with some station. I can't remember the station. Uh, it was like, WCPT820. Is that the station that fired me? Yeah, it is, actually. Okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it was a very clear. It was so clear. 
Uh, but you know what, D? Sometimes you got to learn, okay? So, you know, he irritated me that he sent me an interview with WCPT. But it was the point of the email was that he was looking out for our show, D, okay? You're right. So I learned. We learned as a team, Dennis and I sat down and figured out how can we make our sound better? Actually, that's not how it happened at all. But anyway, somehow or other, we figured it out and our sound sounds great. And by the way, shout out to uh, Kyle on the live stream chat. He says, as a millennial, uh, I've learned how to distinguish between Johnny Cash and John Cass. (laughs) Johnny Cash has talent and John Cass, well, you know, has none. Who said that? Kyle. Kyle, man, Mm-mm. take down, as the kids would say, treat it. Uh, <laughs> remember that day? All the kids were going, treat it. And sometimes when they really want to up it, trick or treat it. That was my favorite. Trick or treat. But, but yeah, for about three years, I was going around going, trick or treat it. People were like, uh, Ben, that is so 2002. Okay. We're now in 2009. Could you update it, please? Thank you. Uh, anyway, back to Colin McMahon, the editor-in-chief, who thinks you're really stupid, Tribune readers. <laughs> now, let me just continue the reading, okay? They're moving everybody in the back pages. Like, Thanks, Cass. <laughs> Cass, like, got got the soup all over his shirt and spilled it on the floor. So everybody's moving it. They got, listen to this, D. They got Rex. Rex Hupke, that's my guy. He's funny as all hell. Yeah, he's he's in the back pages. Uh, Mary Schmidt, she's a Pulitzer Prize winner. She's in the back pages, all right? Heidi Stevens, very insightful, smart uh, editorial. She's in the They didn't do anything wrong. Oh, wait it a- was Cass who wrote the anti-Semitic trope. Way to piss you know? in the punch bowl, Cass. And then, uh, yeah, Darlene Glanton. This, she's a superstar. That, she, you watch. That woman is going to be a superstar columnist in Chicago. They put her in the back. She didn't do anything wrong. Anyway, back to this really enlightening letter from Colin McMahon. D, okay? This move, this is true. This move is not directed at any single column or single columnist. Got that, Tribune readers? Nor is it a decision taken lightly or made hastily. (laughs) No, like he didn't just make it overnight. We've been working on this structure and on a prototype page for months. Months? It takes you months to figure this thing out? I don't believe it, D. Sorry, not believing it. When you and I changed to uh, Google Meet, did we work for months on it? No. Did we sit at a coffee shop and go, let's figure this out. The sound is bad. We got a criticism from Eric Zorn. It's going to take us months to figure this thing out. D, I want you to do a study. I want you to go online and find all the different prototypes that you can have. Got it, boss. <laughs> Could you imagine if you called me boss? Got it, boss. <laughs> Let me tell you, folks, it's the other way around on this show. Anyway, No. Dennis one day called me up and go, you know, this Google Meet sounds really good. And I go, let's go with it. I got a funny feeling. That's kind of what happened at the Tribune when the shit hit the fan with John (laughs) Cass's column last week. They go, "Uh uh-oh, we got to do something. (laughs) So we're going to throw Darlene Glanton and we're going to throw Mary Schmeech and Rex Hupke and Heidi Stevens. Sorry, guys. You're going to the back pages just like Cass. Anyway. I'm going back to this editor-in-chief, okay, D, an important 
uh, editor's note to the readers. And let me just say this, uh, Colin McMahon, I'm a very important Tribune reader. I'm not just some ordinary millennial reading online. I am a home subscriber, the most precious Tribune reader of all. Every day I get a copy like this one of the Tribune. I'm propping up the whole freaking operation. So you're welcome, Colin McMahon. Anyway, back to this, uh, this letter. Uh, they've been working on this structure uh, for months, D. Months. God, they're exhausted. All right, guys, you can take a break. You've been working on this prototype for months. Take a lunch break, all right? Have a sandwich. Uh, the decision is based on a lot of factors. Chief among them, concerns raised by you, our most loyal subscribers. In letters, surveys, on social media, and through firsthand exchanges, readers tell us the Chicago Tribune has been less than clear about what is news reporting and what is opinion writing. Oh, my God, I cannot take this anymore. <laughs> I'm a loyal subscriber and have been so since the 80s. I have never complained. I understand the difference. I think most Tribune readers understand the difference between opinion writing and news writing. It is not the location of what John Cass wrote that was objectionable. It is what John Cass wrote that was objectionable. If you move anti-Semitic tropes and insulting articles about black politicians to the op-ed page, to the back pages, you don't make them any less objectionable or offensive or anti-Semitic. You just have moved the location. What? You think your readers are like, well, I could tolerate an anti-Semitic trope if it's in the back pages, but I'm sorry if it's on page two, I can't take it. Anyway, he goes on and on and on about the changes and how much he loves us and appreciates us and blah, blah, blah. Man, the tribute is funny, man. It's sort of like uh, Lori Lightfoot. And I'm not comparing, okay? Uh-oh, here we go. I yeah. just gotta, I am not comparing John Cass to Christopher Columbus, okay? All right? Just getting that out there now. I'm just saying that the Tribune moving Cass, no, moving all of the colonists who didn't do anything wrong. I'm just going to say this one more time. Rex Hupke did nothing wrong. Okay? Why are you moving him to the back pages? Oh, man, our readers are really confused. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> I'm usually the guy insulting Chicagoans. Do you know I've been known to do that? Whenever there's an election and I disagree with the Chicagoans, I have a tendency. I must make this confession, D. I have a tendency of insulting Chicagoans because I disagree with them. I know that's not fair, Chicagoans, and I apologize. I've apologized many times. I believe may have called you stupid and dumb, okay? So it coming from me, this is, you know, this is quite a statement, but I believe Chicago Tribune readers are far more intelligent than the editors give them credit for, and they know the difference between opinion and news. Anyway, so they're going to move everything to the back pages. Uh, and uh, Johnny Cass is going there, but they are ne no, this is why they're like Lori Lightfoot. So Lori Lightfoot moved the Columbus statues and she moved the Columbus statues quite clearly. I'm just, yeah, this is just me reading between the lines. We're going to talk about this in a while later because the protesters were gathering there and the counter protesters were gathering there. And there probably was going to be violence. So, you know, maybe a good idea just to get rid of the statues and, I don't know, take away the magnet that draws the violence. I thought it was a very astute, smart move, but she can't admit it. She can't say, well, I'm doing that because of the protesters, because that would like give the protesters too much credit. 
like, well, I'm not doing something because somebody protested. I'm just doing something because I think it's a good idea. And that's just kind of that. You know what I'm saying, D? All right. Well, we got to show that, yeah, we're realize that a lot of people were offended by Johnny Cass and his George Soros obsessions, but we don't want to admit that upset readers would cause us to do anything that would change our policies. So we're going to pretend that it's like, I don't know, Rex Hopke's fault. Anyway, listen, John Cass, you're on fire today, dude. Calm down. I'm just going to say one thing, man. I, my heart goes out to you to a certain degree, you know, because I too, I, I, I know what it's like to, to get some people upset. I got fired, man. Right, D? What did I get fired for talking about Tim? I don't even know why I got They just said, come here, son. Beat it. Leave. Don't let that door hit you on the way out. So I know what it's like. But let's, look, look on the bright side, man. At least you still have a job. We got a great show today. <laughs> Everybody, yes, Sergio Mims. Uh, the uh, creator of the Black Harvest Film Festival. Oh, man, he's ready to talk VP. He's ready to talk Trump. He's ready to talk Columbus Statue. You know Sergio will talk about it. Nothing's off limit uh, with Sergio Mims. So uh, we may ask him about the new state of affairs at the Chicago trip. I doubt that Sergio Mims is a subscriber to Tribune. The only other home subscriber I know to the Chicago Tribune D is young Kenneth Davis. That's it. It's not amazing. Isn't that a huge statement? Hey, we haven't heard that Ken Davis impression in a while. Let's hear it. Not one word said, but man, it sounds just like him. But it's different than Mike Flannery. Willie Wilson. <laughs> well, <hey. laughs> Boy, that one and only time we had Flannery on the show was awesome, huh? Yeah, it was great, man. It was back in the old days at the Bright One. Yeah. When we were in our beloved little uh, studio. Flannery was nice enough to come in. He sat down and uh, yeah, it was awesome. Hey, he's not coming back get- after that impression. <laughs> that's not Flannery. It will come back. All right. He just like, uh, you, you know, I kind of agree with Eric Zorn about the quality of the site. Get, get a new, <laughs> get the Google meet. I'll come back. Okay. Have you heard we of clean feed? <laughs> clean feed. <laughs> oh man. That, we looked in the clean feed. That's so complicated. Good. Dennis was a millennial. Like this stuff is mama's milk to him. Oh yeah. <laughs> mama's milk. <laughs> uh, even Dennis couldn't figure out clean. He goes, Ben, I'm raising the flag on clean feed. So we found Google meet and uh, just want to thank Google one more time. You know, I'm like, now I really am turning into a millennial. Millennials love their Gmail accounts. You ever notice that? D? Today's uh, show brought to you by Google. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we get some money from Google? Anyway, Sergio, I know he's got a lot of opinion, but yeah, I think Kenny D may be the only. Wow, what a staggering. I'm trying to think, D. Everybody I know is um, (laughs) even the baby boomers are now just reading it on their phones, getting it for free as much as they can. Yeah, I still subscribe. Proud of it. Home subscription, by the way. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in the Tribune. Charlie Johnson, we did a great interview with him. We dropped it on Monday. Isn't that correct, D? You can download it right, right now. Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader websites, wherever else you download your favorite podcast. A great interview. He was all business, one Charlie Johnson. 
Yes, he was. He was all business. All right, D. Uh, enough on that. Sergio Mims will be our guest. We'll bring him on real soon. But before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man back home in Alton that they call Dr. Doobie with the news. Hey, guys, what's up? Ben's the only person who calls me that. All right, let's find out what's happening in uh, Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. The enemy is you. Who, me? (laughs) What'd I do to you? I wear a mask. All right. No public events scheduled for the governor this Tuesday, but he was a busy boy on Monday. First in Quincy, Illinois, while giving a press briefing, Governor Pritzker was asked about his five-phase strategy to safely reopen Illinois. Let's begin with phase one. Not funny, JB. (laughs) Not funny. We're not going back to phase one. And again, he was asked about those pesky people who oppose the governor's pandemic planning. The governor responded by saying the same thing that he said last week. He said, quote, our message to those folks is that this is not a political virus. It's not a red state virus or a blue state virus. It's not something made up by somebody for political purposes. This virus attacks anybody. We just have to figure out how to live with it to make sure the fewest number of people get sick. All right. Like I said, you've heard all this before. Nothing new from the governor. But Governor Pritzker did give us his humble opinion on when uh, this will all end and when we will go back to the old normal. And my God, for the sake of our sanity, I hope he's wrong. In response to wearing masks and socially distancing and having stupid Zoom meetings every day, Pritzker said, quote, we don't have to do this forever. You've seen there's progress on vaccines and treatments. And you know, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And frankly, we're not going to be there until 2021, in my humble opinion. The governor continued, I'm not a doctor. Hey, that's my line. But <laughs> wait, did he actually say that? Yeah, he said, I'm not said, a doctor. I'm not a doctor? Yeah, he said, I'm don't, not. A... Did he also say, don't call me Dr. Doobie? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, he said, I'm not a doctor, but that's why my observation is uh, that we're not going to be able to take off the mask and go about everything we were doing seven, eight months ago for a few more months maybe six plus months. Ben Jarofsky, what say you? And can you tolerate living in the quote, new normal until the new year? I think I have no choice. I agree with uh, Governor Pritzker. Let me just say this. By and large, I'm a big fan of the way uh, J.B. Pritzker has uh, handled himself uh, since the corona, or as they call it in Georgia, Rona. Uh, and uh, you can't buy it by will take exception with some of the things he said he goes you can't take off the mask well actually uh some people never put the mask on okay so they still haven't put the mask on and as to as whether it is a political virus d and this is uh i would say there are some people who disagree with governor pritzker and i am now going to quote somebody on this subject okay there was a fascinating article in the new york times about a small town in georgia that is opening up the schools within a, the next few days uh, outside of atlanta and uh, many people in the town don't think that the coronavirus is a serious uh illness 
I will now read to you from the article. An online petition created by two Jefferson High School seniors, the high school in this town is Jefferson, uh, calling for a mandatory mask rule has garnered more than 600 signatures, but a competing petition demanding that masks remain a choice for students has attracted more than 200 signers, some of whom have left comments and underscore the political nature of the disagreement. And I will now read a comment from one of the bright young scholars at Jefferson High School. T, are you ready for this one? Let's hear it. <clears throat> Uh, and I will do it straight. I will not do it in the, my imagined uh, <clears throat> high school voice. Quote, only liberals can get Rona, and I'm not a liberal. Trump, Trump, Trump 2020, no mask for me. Dee, did you know that uh, high schoolers in Georgia were calling the coronavirus Rona? I need to check in on my cousin to make sure he doesn't go to Georgia high school. That sounds a lot like my one of my cousins. <laughs> Okay, now I'll do it like, uh, 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 only liberals can get run out. I'm not a liberal. Look, Governor Pritzker, I know you're, you bend over backwards to be tolerant of everybody that disagrees with you, but this is what you're up against, okay? <laughs> only liberals get run. How does, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, how this person's mindset is working. Uh, they doesn't say if it's a he or a she or whatever. So let's just assume it's a he. Uh, how how is his mind working that he thinks like it only goes after liberals? It's like like the, does the virus go up to you? And go well? Who did you vote for in twenty sixteen? I voted for Donald Trump. Oh, I'll leave you alone. I don't know. Only liberals can get Rona, uh, and I am not a liberal. No mask for me. So there you go, D. That's part of the reason I think this virus isn't going anywhere uh, until we uh, get a vaccine for it because of some of the great scholars and great thinkers like that young man or woman from Jefferson High School. You learn something. You learn something new every day, guys. All right. uh, More public briefings and more humble opinions. Governor J.B. Pritzker also said Monday that he is, quote, deeply concerned about the Illinois High School Association conducting sports activities this fall. Uh, Does that mean that they're canceling the sports? Is that what he's he's deeply concerned? The next step? He's not a doctor, but he's, uh, you know, it's his humble opinion, but he's, uh, you know, he has a feeling. You know what? Uh, uh, that's a Beatles song. I got a feeling, a feeling deep inside. Whoa, yeah. <clears throat> I've now uh, done the Beatles and Bob Dylan in one show. How about that? Baby Blue and we still have listeners, so that's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for still listening. That's awesome. I, uh, I, uh, you know, I'm kind of upset by that. My alma mater, as I say many times, is Evanston High School, and they have a pretty good basketball team. This year could have been their year. You know what I'm saying? And now if they cancel, like my beloved Evanston Wildkits will not get an opportunity to win the state. Of course, the state isn't the state. Hey, Governor Pritzker, if you really want to rectify something with high school sports, let's take the four divisions in basketball and bring it back to two. Hasn't been the same since it went from two to four. All right, just throw that out there, D. I know that has nothing to do with anything. Continue with your news. All right. New week, new updates on Madigan Gate. The time the mega utility company Commonwealth Edison confessed to allegedly paying (laughs) $1.3 million in bribes to associates of Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan. Now, since this story broke, 
We've heard some interesting responses from our elected leaders here in Illinois. Okay, first, no surprise and not that interesting. Our friends of the conservative persuasion say get rid of the bastard, but... A majority, yeah. a majority of our Democratic friends have been towing the line pretty well in their response to Madigan Gate. Democrats and progressives alike have been saying, actually, Ben, if you could remind us all, what have uh, the majority of our Democratic elected leaders been saying again as far as Madigan Gate? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Dee. This is one of my favorite topics. Towing the line is a very good way of putting it. Um, OK, let's just back up for a moment and tell everybody Commonwealth Edison pled guilty to essentially trying to bribe Madigan by putting his friends and cronies on the payroll. They pled guilty to that. They stipulated exactly what they did in this agreement with the prosecutor, and they agreed to pay a $200 million fine. So it's just not like some, you know, rootless allegation that's floating around there. No, they pled guilty to it, all right? So what uh, the lawmakers are saying, uh, the Democratic lawmakers who are very concerned because on one hand, you don't want to look like you're not vigilant about potential corruption. And on the other hand, you don't want to say anything that will offend Madigan if he survives this and is still a House speaker. He controls absolutely everything, at least on the House side. Like, he controls what office you get and whether you get a key to the restroom. And, well, I don't know if he controls the key to the restroom, but I said it anyway. <laughs> so what they, what they do is they go, well... Hmm, I'm very concerned about these news reports. Very concerned. If these allegations prove to be true, then I think the speaker will have to step down. I'm like, dude, they're not allegations. It's a confession by Commonwealth Edison. This is what Commonwealth Edison is paying $200 million for. All right, so it's not like some flimsy allegation. Uh, And if they're true, but... It probably means that Medigan is in a lot of trouble, potential, I don't know, it could be prosecuted. So he'll be carted out of office. He won't be stepping down. So what D, they're trying to dress up uh, a cowardly response as though it were worthy of being in, put into Profiles and in Courage the John F. Kennedy book about courageous moves by legislators in the past. So they'll have to add a new chapter in Profiles and Courage because some guys, well, if it's true, if it's true, you know. So anyway, I was like, guys, uh, it's not really that courageous of a statement that you're making there. Just wanted to point that out. Well, it took a week, but finally, we have a Democrat saying in public, what the rest of them are saying in private step down resign bro without Please. without the cushiony uh if these allegations are true part shout out to the democratic state senator heather staines in a public statement staines said quote the people of illinois are facing unprecedented challenges from the coronavirus threatening our health our economy and the education of our children to overdue demands for a more just and equitable society at such a time it is imperative that the people of our state state can trust in their representatives and that those representatives can trust in their leaders. That is why Michael Madigan should resign as Speaker of the House. See, notice I didn't say that uh, if these allegations are true part. She says that is why Michael Madigan should resign as Speaker of the House. She continues, the revelations, uh, the revelations rather, contained in the U.S. Attorney's Deferred Prosecution Agreement with Commonwealth Edison paint 
a sordid picture of bribery, influence, peddling, and insider dealing at the highest level. It shows how yesterday's political patronage system, severely restricted by the courts, has been transferred lock, stock, and barrel to a large corporation seeking the government's help. Not only does this undermine public trust in government, but it will cost Illinois rate payers hundreds of millions of dollars. This follows on the heels of horrendous revelations of sexual harassment and bullying by those within the speaker's office. It is clearly time for a change. All right. First of all, uh, congratulations for the strong statement, uh, Heather Staines. I'm going to point out, D, that she is a state senator. Okay, just a making that distinction she's not in the house so she's not directly connected uh, to michael joseph madigan so presumably she could say that and senate president don Harmon will still allow her to use the uh, senator's restroom uh, or have a nice office yeah i'm very concerned about uh, uh house members uh, they get in trouble boom you're out in the parking lot uh, let me just point this out uh this is the part of the story uh that very rarely gets reported on i talked about this uh last week so in the statement uh, that the uh, attorney general, excuse me, the U.S. attorney released, he talked about uh, he connected Madigan uh, and Commonwealth Edison having this cozy arrangement where Commonwealth Edison put some of Madigan's uh, cronies on the payroll. Madigan claims, by the way, that that did not in any way affect him or influence him. He couldn't care less if they put his cronies on the payroll. That's his official position. Um, so they connected, uh, the U.S. attorney did, putting those cronies on the payroll with the passage of certain bills. And I noted that many of those bills were supported by Republicans. And so I put this out in the reader last week, and I believe this. I don't believe... Commonwealth Edison had to cut a deal with Michael Joseph Madigan and hire his cronies to get legislators to back their legislation. I don't I don't I just believe that was influence that was currying favor with Madigan just to curry favor with him. And I don't believe it was related to any one piece of legislation, because as long as I've been around Illinois, Commonwealth Edison has pretty much had its way with the General Assembly. And it didn't matter if Republicans were running the show or Democrats were running the show. It didn't matter if it was a Democratic governor or a Republican governor. In fact, it was Pat Quinn who vetoed uh, the, the bill that Commonwealth Edison wanted passed, I think it was in 2011, and that was overridden. So, no, no, I'm mixing that. There were two vetoes. I think Bruce Rauner vetoed one as well. So I don't believe Commonwealth Edison had to curry favor with Madigan in that way to get the legislation passed. I just think it's sort of like downtown landlords hiring Madigan's firm for property tax business. It's what they do to curry favor with the big guy. They think they're playing the game. That's how you play the game in Illinois. That's how you play the game in Chicago. Yeah, you hire the big guy's firm. And then you go around saying, my property tax lawyer is Michael Joseph Madigan. I'm the man. I know how to play the game, okay? I can use uh, this bathroom. <laughs> so I don't know, man. I, don't, I, I personally believe that the problems of regulating utilities and determining what is a fair price to pay for utilities is far greater than Michael Joseph Madigan. And the influence of the big utility companies far exceeds Michael Madigan. Just throwing that out there, D, just saying that. Uh, but, uh, you know, in other words, they didn't have to hire those cronies to get their legislation passed. That's just my opinion. One man's opinion, D. 
Come on, uh, Democrats of Illinois. Follow Heather Staines. Gazzardi, I'm looking at you. All right, uh, on to some city news. No public events scheduled for our Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. We've said it's time to bring in the light. And it's sure shining on all of us tonight. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. But guys, don't worry. We have a lot of mayoral news to talk about. Uh, Late in the midnight hours of Friday, after a week of protests, Mayor Lightfoot ordered two of the three statues of Christopher Columbus in Chicago to be removed temporarily. (laughs) We talked about this on Friday's show. Go download that at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Hey, you'll also hear a great interview with Alderman Ray Lopez. But Ben, uh, remind us all again your thoughts on the removal of the Columbus statues. Well, I, I supported it uh, for many reasons, uh, but I support it just from the aspect of, like I keep saying, you take away uh, a magnet so that drew protesters and counter-protesters, so that it's a safety reason. But I also personally, and this is just me speaking, feel uh, that we should really, I'm putting this as mild as I can, strongly consider some of the people, this is, I had this uh, ferocious debate with my old friend Josh in the backyard about this. We should just strongly reconsider some of the people that we honor. Uh, And uh, so Christopher Columbus, guys, come on, Chicago, we can move past this. And, uh, you know, in the South with the Confederate statues, I mean, just try to think of what we're saying about our country when we have we're paying homage uh, to Confederate uh, generals and uh, leaders of the Confederacy, et cetera, and so forth. So, yeah, I, I welcomed it on two fronts. And by the way, we're going to have an interview uh, this Friday. I'm really looking forward to this, D. Hold on, I'm going to call it up, and I'm going to tell you right now um, who we're going to interview. Uh, Jonathan Bello, who is a, um, uh, a writer freelance reporter uh, who's uh, his specialty he uh, is to go to uh, what scenes of protest with his camera he's a millennial D so he's got the phone and he, ha- he captures it all and puts it on Twitter uh, he was there all night he saw the removal and he, he captured all the uh, the drama and the excitement and he's coming on the show he'll be on the show on Friday to talk about it. so that's a little you know, advance uh, promotion. How about that, D, huh? That's a tease uh, there, buddy. Yeah, that's a tease. Uh, he used to work for Block Club. Now he's a freelance. He did some stuff. He wrote an article for Esquire, which was excellent. He wrote an article for Chicago Magazine, which was excellent. And, by the way, an ex-Marine. So we're going to make you do push-ups when he comes on the show, all right, D? Uh, Jonathan Ballou will be here on Friday. We'll talk about, at great length, what went down Friday. I guess it was early Friday morning uh, when city workers removed the statue. All right, so that was Friday. It's now Tuesday, and we still have three questions here involving the removal of these statues. Luckily, the mayor provided some answers. First question. Number one. (laughs) Why the middle of the night? That's kind of weird, right? During a Monday press briefing, the mayor explained her decision, and the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman. By the way, Fran, I was only kidding when I said that Tom Shuba may be coming for your title as the hardest-working writer for the Sun-Times. Of course it's you. She's a big listener, Ben, and I don't want to ruffle any feathers. All right. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot said on Monday she ordered two statues of the Christ- of Christopher Columbus 
temporarily removed in the middle of the night after receiving, quote, intelligence that gave us great concern that something bad was about to happen. The mayor refused to elaborate on the threat or the source of the intelligence that led her to believe Chicago was about to see a repeat of the ugly Grant Park confrontation between protesters and police that she claimed had been, quote, hijacked by a small group of vigilantes who came for a fight. But Lightfoot made it clear she considered the warning serious enough to warrant immediate action in the middle of the night. Lightfoot said, quote, I wanted to make sure we did it as quickly as possible. We received some information that day that raised some very serious public safety concerns. I did not want to wait. Lightfoot also argued there is no comparison to the action she took and Mayor Richard M. Daly's midnight destruction of Meigs Field on Northerly Island. Lightfoot, by contrast, said she, quote, consulted a lot of people along the way. I don't do anything in a vacuum, the mayor said. I always make sure that we're reaching out proactively to talk to a number of different folks. And I think people understand, given what happened and what was threatened, that this was about public safety. Anyone who saw the videotapes from a previous Friday night, which saw a peaceful protest hijacked by vigilantes who came there to hurt the police, but also other people got hurt in the ensuing chaos, knows better. This was about public safety pure and simple. Ben, your thoughts. I have many, many thoughts on this. And Meg's Field, uh, you got to be over a certain age to remember it. It was in 2003. Richard M. Daly had just been reelected mayor uh, and by a decisive margin. Uh, and he had uh, work crews, I think it was from Park District, swoop in on Meg's Field, which was an airport uh, along the lakefront just near Soldier Field. And they... Uh, carved up the runway. It was a big to-do uh, in Chicago. People were stunned and outraged. Uh, Fran Spielman is absolutely correct. There was no public debate. Uh, <laughs> Daly had made it clear he wanted to remove the airport for a park, uh, and there was opposition. There were people who supported the airport, uh, and they were organizing against Daly. And I just, Daly just got said, hell with it. I just got reelected. I'm taking this thing out, ending the discussion. The part that there's some parallels, D, only an old timer would remember this, is that Daly's official justification for ripping up Meg's Field was a, secu a security one. This was two years after the 9-11 attack, and he said he did this to protect the loop from any potential terrorist who might take off a plane at Meg's Field and then crash it into a building. So he said he was doing it to look out for the best interests of Chicago, not unlike uh, Mayor Lightfoot, who said uh, she was doing it uh, to look out for the best interests of Chicago for safety concerns. I wish he hadn't said said the intelligence report because that suggests like what she has spies like infiltrating all these different groups hey it it didn't need a special intelligence report to know that there was going to be a confrontation between protesters and counter protesters and uh that as long as that statue was there it was going to be a magnet now, I believe we have another story about another statue that still exists in the city of Chicago. Right, D? You're going to do that story? Yes. So I don't want it. I don't want. Okay. Well, don't do that. Don't want to. Don't want to step on your toes. Thank uh, you. So uh, I don't. It didn't take tremendous intelligence to know. Look, it didn't take any intelligence at all because I said it. Oh. I said, "Hey, get rid of that statue. Then you you won't have any more fights. At least at that site." So anyway, I, 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 that stuff about the special intelligence, I don't I don't think she had any special intelligence. 
you know, like in, inside intel intelligence from Secret Agent Man. That's the song, Secret Agent Man. I don't believe you had a Secret Agent Man, Lori Lightfoot, giving you intel. I think you just had common sense, like, yeah, maybe a good idea. Get rid of that statue. And then they won't be converging there, and ugh, all our problems are solved. And I can go back to... Well, I do not. I was going to say smoking a doobie, but Lori <laughs> I, thought, I knew you were going to say smoking a doobie. <laughs> but, but Lori Lightfoot does not smoke a doobie. So go ahead, D. So that's the mayor's answer to question one. What about the second question? Number two. <laughs> What's with the temporary part? Lightfoot repeated on Monday saying, quote, I said it's temporary. The mayor went on saying, quote, uh, what we're going to be announcing is a process by which we take stock of murals and monuments and other memorials to our past, but also that we talk about the past uh, that hasn't been highlighted or lifted up. There's a lot of richness to our history as Chicagoans as a city that doesn't appear in any way, shape or form of memorialization. Uh, so we do we don't do enough to talk about indigenous peoples here in Chicago and that long history. There's very little that memorializes and uplifts the challenges, but also the triumphs of people of color, black, Latinx, Asian. We see very little commemorating the contributions of women in our city. This is a conversation that's long overdue and we will have it. The mayor said uh, the mayor said she's asking, quote, art historians and other stakeholders to come together in a very specific mission, not just to look backward, but to look forward as well. Lightfoot uh, says she, quote, understands the skepticism from protest groups that don't believe they will be treated respectfully by Chicago police. Uh, she finished out uh, saying, quote, a number of safeguards have been put into place. Will it be perfect? Will it be incident free? Probably not, because that's human nature. By the way, D, I, I don't know if I don't think I shared this with you, but as you, uh, as you know, I am on the Tea Party's email list and I get blasts pretty much three or four an hour because it's not just the tea party it's all these right-wing uh email uh, i don't know what they are operations and lori lightfoot is getting ripped by the right i can just say that uh, she i mean they have basically painted her out as a puppet of the left something they've called her insane uh they are they are just so mean-spirited uh about lori lightfoot and so when she said temporarily removing it, I think that was her way of assuring the Columbus statue lovers that it was nothing personal against the Columbus statue. She was trying to walk that fine line, as you pointed out, the. And so she was saying, you know, we'll probably have that statue go somewhere. We're just not going to put it there. Uh, but it hasn't done her any good, it seems like, because the the mob of right wingers i mean the, what they're going after lori Light, and it's so funny when i read this d because i'm a lefty and lori lightfoot is a centrist she is just the definition of a centrist and if you're a legitimate lefty like me uh many of our listeners you know you have a lot of issues with lori lightfoot and her centrist uh views like her attitude about tiffs and uh and, and things like that it's like, who's going to pay for the police in the school? You know, that kind of stuff. She is by no means a leftist, but this is the Republican propaganda machine. And so every day, I got a couple today, they sent out an email blast uh, linking Lori Lightfoot to these far left organizations. They're doing the Lori Lightfoot 
what they did to Barack Obama. And, and Barack Obama, of course, was a middle of the road, Clintonian-like centrist, Democratic centrist, and they turned him in to some kind of a radical. And uh, so I just have to shake my head, man. It, it, I guess it works. This is Republican propaganda 101. Uh, so you either turn Lori Lightfoot into a leftist or you say she is a stooge controlled by leftists. And I think it's really unfair to Lori Lightfoot, by the way. And it's unfair to leftists. Yeah, but ben, whatever. Ben Jarofsky, the only guy I know that in the same statement says he's a lefty and also gets Tea Party emails. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. I don't even get lefty emails. Emails. I don't get. It's funny. I only get the right wing emails. It's like the lefties haven't figured out that I exist or they don't send out emails. I don't know. Maybe they're so sophisticated, they all, you know, they communicate through Instagram, D. I don't know. But I don't get any lefty emails. I just get tons of Tea Party emails. Ben. And then they're mad at me. Trump's mad at me right now, D. I didn't tell you this. Donald John Trump, bad Trump, because I haven't contributed. They keep sending me fundraising solicitations. They go, Ben, we've been sending you in solicitations for six months now and you haven't responded if you don't respond we're gonna take you off the list i'm like please take me off the list nope they always give me one more chance all right one more chance ben one more chance help me <laughs> all right so in a very roundabout wordy way that sort of answers our second question now to the third and final question when it comes to the removal of the columbus statues number three <laughs> What about that third statue? <laughs> the Sun-Times and Mitch Dudek has the story. The city's long-remaining statue honoring the controversial Italian explorer stands a bit over seven feet tall in the middle of a far south side intersection. It's unclear if the statue has drawn the attention of protesters. The bronze figure is on a small triangular concrete pedestrian island that surra that's surrounded by South Chicago Avenue, Exchange Avenue, and 92nd Street in the South Chicago neighborhood, a neighborhood under 10th Ward Alderwoman and dear friend of the program, Sue Sedlowski Garza. Alderwoman Garza said, quote, it hasn't been overlooked. I'm in conversations with the city. I'm looking to take it down as soon as possible. She said, noting that she personally believes it should be replaced with a statue of a different Italian person who contributed to society. Uh, Sedlowski Garza was not surprised the statue was not caught up in recent protests, saying, quote, there's a lot of people that never venture this far south in the city. Yeah, it's really far south, guys. <laughs> It's like yeah. Indiana, basically. Uh, then she said they just get on the Skyway and never come here. She's heard from a number of constituents who want the statue removed, including members of her own family. Yeah, that is okay, stole the, my favorite line. By the way, let me just say this. The Ben Jarofsky show speaking for everybody affiliated with the Ben Jarofsky show, which is two people we love. Alderwoman Sue Sedlowski Garza. Wouldn't you say that, Dee? We love her oh, hell very yeah. much. Sue Sedlowski Garza. One time, and we, part of the reason we know how far it is, one time she invited us to her house for a barbecue. And Dennis and I and my lovely wife hopped into a car. Dennis drove, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, I did. We got lost. and uh, But it was a, quite a drive going to Sue Sedlowski Garza's house. 
uh, and her extended family was there. And a lot of her friends were there for this barbecue and they were filled with lefties. Okay. A lot of lefties. I felt right at home at that barbecue. So when I saw that line uh, in Mitch uh, Dudek's excellent article, and it was a good article uh, that said, she's heard from a number of constituents who wanted the statue removed, including members of her own family. I had to laugh out loud. I'm like, I'm sure those members of her family were at the top of the list she heard from. D, this 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 article is so telling in so many ways. I think about the only thing that the crew of Columbus loving protesters uh, and the Columbus uh, protesting protesters agree on is I really don't want to have to go all the way down uh, to 92nd Street to protest. So, uh, yeah, we'll just pretend like that statue doesn't exist. Anyway, yeah, it's way down there, uh, and they got that one statue, and Sue Sedlowski-Garza says she's going to get rid of it. She hasn't been on the show in a while. Hey, Sue Sedlowski-Garza, come on back on the show, all right? Come on, Sue. Come on. No, she she got that new gig. She's, like, so busy. Um, Ben, I'm so busy. I'm just, I don't know. I I just don't have time for your little show anymore, so I am just so busy, okay? I'm Sue Sedlowski-Garza, and I am the chairwoman of a committee very, very busy. Somehow or other, I'm sliding into my Donald Trump imitation day. I can't help myself. Yeah, Very we... busy. She's very busy. Oh, How's that's, that, for that was pretty good. That's a pretty good impression. That <laughs> may you. be your fifth best impression. All right. Wow. I know. Fifth best. Whoa. Bill Clinton's your number one, by the way. Uh, I love Dr. D. <laughs> that's uh, really good. <laughs> I'm impressed. What can I say, man? And uh, shout out to the Sadlowski Garza family. I think they all collectively mess with Ben because the whole family (laughs) calls him Javorski. The entire family. I think they're messing with you. I love the I love the guy. I mean, I love that family. First of all, lots of sports fans there. Raúl, who's Sue's husband, huge White Sox fan, as am I. Uh, my beloved Sox did do so well over the weekend, but uh, good people. Sadlowski Garza, Ed Sadlowski, who's Sue Sadlowski's father, labor leader when I moved to Chicago, big time uh, steel workers uh, leader. So a lot of love for the Sadlowski Garza family, even if Sue's like, oh, Ben, since I got this, I'm just so busy. I, I just, I'm too busy. Oh, that's okay, a way to ben. get her on the show. <laughs> Make fun of her. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I'm just so busy. And, and an impression, too. That, that Double down. There we go. We'll get her in no time, buddy. Javorski. That's my Garza. Garza. Javorski. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's the local news. Uh, let's go to the live stream chat real quick. Shout out to everyone in the live stream chat room. As always, you people are awesome. If you're listening live, I dare you to join the live stream chat right now. Say what's up. Leave us a comment, and we may read it on the program shout out to frank yes ben that frank he is on the live stream chat anything you'd like to say to frank at the moment i love frank and i uh, appreciate everything he does for our show god bless you <laughs> that's really heartfelt uh frank a little foul mouthed on the live stream chat today and that's okay you can curse he says somehow i feel like madigan is going to survive this shit <laughs> Frank, you're on. I think I think you're on to something, Frank. Whenever the, we hear the Dems go, well, if the allegations are true, he's got to step down. Okay, well, I think he's going to survive it too. I think most of the uh, 
state reps think he's going to survive it as well. That's why they're not following Heather Staines. Heather probably called a bunch of them up. Oh, will you come to my press conference where I bash uh, Madigan? Uh, <laughs> um, I believe I am watching uh, Dead to Me that night. Yes, can't make it. I've got to watch Dead to Me. Uh, it's uh, on Netflix. And guys, he's kind of funny. Also, <laughs> have you been in that bathroom? <laughs> not giving that up. Uh, uh, Brianna says, I agree, Frank. He will leave the house when they carry him out. He knows too much and can bring too many people down with him. Yeah, you guys are, yeah, you guys are on to something. Uh, yeah, I don't think anytime soon he's leaving that house. When he wants to leave, that's when he's going to leave. And he don't really care what Heather Stain says. She's in the Senate. What is, he cares as much about Heather Stain as he does about a Republican. Uh, Heather Stain, who cares? That's my yeah. Madigan impression. Zoom. He hates Zoom. All right. Uh, let's... Have you ever even heard Madigan? Too? No, I just I just see his face and I picture that's what he sounds like. Huh? What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, give me an apple. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh... <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Jeff says, I don't think that he will. Uh, he will as he appears to be guilty. He's probably looking for a good uh, plea deal. That's what Jeff says. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of lawyers. He's spending a lot of money on lawyers, by the way. That was who was it? Was that Rich Miller that wrote that excellent article? I think it was Rich Miller this weekend wrote about all the money that uh, Madigan is spending on lawyers. So, yeah, Jim, Jim says uh, he likes your idea. Madigan resign. Uh, Madigan can resign when Trump resigns. No, that I, I'm ready to cut that deal right now. Okay, right. come on, let's cut the deal right now. Madigan resigns, Trump resigns, bada boom, bada bing. Yeah, bada boom, bada bing, never going to happen. All right, everybody, so that is our local news. Uh, coming up after this short little break, it's the return of Sergio Mims. Ben, keep these people listening. What are you planning on talking about with Sergio Mims? Uh, well, first of all, right off the bat, we'll talk vice president. Uh, Sergio's got some thoughts on that. Uh, we're going to talk about Trump cognitive. I just it's just an excuse to play this <laughs> the latest Trump cognitive thing. And I know Columbus statue. I haven't talked to Sergio uh, since the unrest. He was on the show right before all the unrest and talk about what happened in Hyde Park. He was in Hyde Park. I think all the grocery stores were closed because of uh, rioting and looting. So a lot to talk about. And who knows with Sergio Mims, you know, the sky's the limit. Nothing is he's what some guests will go, Ben, don't ask me a question about fill in the blanks. You know, uh, don't ask me about Dr. D. Uh, I don't want to say anything that might offend him. All right. OK, I won't ask about Dr. D, you know, something like that. But Sergio's like, ah, anything you want to talk about, I'll talk about that it. bald bastard. All right. <laughs> That's him talking about me. Sergio's also bald. I just realized. All right. Uh, by the way, people, you can reach us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, send us a message. Give us a like, uh, a review, whatever. Uh, also, you can find, you can send us an email, BennyJShow at gmail.com. Uh, and we have a phone number. That's right. Haven't got that many voicemails. You should give us a call, 708 658 478 Eight. That's right. I'm going to keep shilling this phone number, although nobody's calling it. 708-658-4788. Call the Ben Jarofsky Show. Leave us a voicemail and we'll more than likely play it. All right. Now we're going to play some Michael Girardi. And when we come back, Sergio Mims. Don't go anywhere, people. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. Ben's live in his attic. I'm live in my apartment. Don't go anywhere.
the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, July 28th is brought to you in part by the Illinois Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. While we wait for Sergio Mims to join our Google Meets session, we want to remind everybody that there is a part two of the Ben Jarofsky show. Oh, Sergio's on apparently. Sergio, are you there? There we go. Hold on. Let me admit him in here. And before, hey, we have a part two of today's program. Ben, remind everybody who we're going to be talking to for part two. Uh, t- uh, part two will be uh, my conversation with our union boss, or my union boss, John Schloys. I'm really, uh, it's one of my uh, obsessions that's emerging more and more, uh, how important it is for newspaper writers, editors, etc., uh, to join, collectively bargain, 
and uh, join uh, unions. It's a very precarious time for my beloved newspaper industry. And I actually think that newspapers uh, unions could serve a very uh, important role in stabilizing the environment in many of these newspapers. I believe the unions, well, actually the unions uh, came to the rescue of the, uh, the Sun-Times uh, and the Reader and is the reason they're still in existence. And I think it'll uh, save the Tribune, uh, ultimately the union. So John Schloys, who's the head of the Newspaper Guild, we'll be talking to him tonight. Drop it at seven o'clock, D. It's available for download only, both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Sergio, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, you sound oh, great. You sound oh, very good. Very good. Absolutely so clear. One more time. I just want to say this Google Meet thing is really good. I'm just saying that, Sergio, we've been uh, Sergio was a regular on my show. As long as I've had a show, uh, Sergio has been a guest and he was always so uh generous no matter where i was even when i was on the far northwest side of Sergio with like two trains buses he schlep up there go over to the deli across the street uh and uh, oh, yeah, the, uh, the polish deli only went yeah. there once never again <laughs> i don't blame you they like racially profiled you when you walked in there uh, that, everything was in polish Oh, well, that's the least of your worries. On top of that, oh, well, yeah, in addition to the racially profiling, I couldn't understand what a, what the sign said. Anyway, uh, and then at my beloved uh, Suntime studio, which I miss so much, uh, he would show up. In fact, you may, you were literally the last guest at our uh, Suntime studio. That Friday was the last time, I don't know if you remember that, uh, you showed up. Yeah, I showed up. Uh, let's make a deal. Let me be the first guest when you come back. <laughs> I don't know when we will be coming back. I miss it, though. I miss the um, I say this all the time, Sergio. I, I miss just the proximity to my guests, being able to look at my guests, that yeah. moment of joy when the guest walks into the studio and it's like, yeah, my guest is here. And uh, so I miss it dearly. I know Dennis misses it a lot. Let's hurry up and get uh, a vaccine for this uh, hor horrific illness, and uh, we'll be back. All right, Sergio, uh, Any uh, before we get into the pol political stuff, any uh, Black Harvest updates you want to share with listeners? Well, you know, we're actually we're having a meeting tonight to discuss the plans. We are doing Black Harvest, but of course, with everything going on, um, it's going to be in a different format. It'll be streaming um, and um, it'll be in the fall, and um, um, uh, gosh, it's not going to be a month long as as it usually is. Maybe two, three weeks. Uh, we're getting a lot of stuff in. I'm behind. There's a lot of stuff I got to catch up with that's been submitted. I got to start getting into that. The deadline has been extended to September first. So um, I got to start um, catching up on a lot of stuff that's come in. But there will be a Black Harvest Film Festival, just not in the form it's usually in. Hopefully next year uh, everything will be back the way it was. I will mention one thing about a virus. I'm not really looking forward to a virus, but there are all these potential treatments that look really promising. And as a matter of fact, yesterday, I was reading about this UV light. Now, I know I'm gonna sound like Trump, but please. <laughs> you're heading down, you're heading down that road, Sergio. You're heading down that Trump road. Wait, 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 wait. This is in a scientific journal. There uh -huh. is a, a, a form of UV light, which they have been using for years. Uh 
in hospitals and in prisons and in other places to uh, kill viruses. It's a method that's been around for a long time. That looks promising. Also, this is in Politico, which is interesting. There is a tuberculosis vaccine, which has been around for 100 years. And already it's in stage four, it's in phase four. Not stage three. You've been hearing all these drugs. There, this is in stage three. It looks promising. There is a um, this tuberculosis vaccine. It's been around for a hundred years. They've been trying it out. You even you don't even have to worry about FDA approval because the FDA approved it decades ago. Mm-hmm. So this was interesting. This was in Politico about three weeks ago, right. and. Um, could it be that the vaccine we're looking for has been under the, our noses all the time? I don't know. We'll see. Well, I, I certainly hope for it. Uh, hope so. By the way, before I go to politics and leave movies behind, I have to tell you, I'm going to, I always give you suggestions. I'm going to, like many of the fans of Black Harvest, always give you suggestions, which you're free, of course, to ignore. Uh, but last night I saw for the third time uh, a movie that got ripped when it came out, uh, Soul Men with Bernie Mac and Samuel Jackson. And uh-huh. I love that movie so much. I've seen it three times. Every time I see it, I find it very endearing. Uh, not the least of which is because it's Bernie Mac's uh, last movie, I think, or one of his last movies, if not literally his last. At the end of Soulman, I don't know if you remember, there's a tribute to Bernie Mac, where as the credits are rolling, he's they're interviewing him and he's, um, you know, talking about his career and uh, how he started off and uh, as a stand-up comic. I just hope you guys have a tribute to Bernie Mac sometime. I'm just throwing out, he's That's from Chicago. Idea. Chicago vocational. That's an idea uh, to have a tribute to him. He is a, he was a Chicago guy. By the way, I, I couldn't stand Soul Man. So oh my God, so <laughs> The only thing good about Soul Man yeah. is a surprise cameo appearance by Vanessa Dorio. Yes, very good for remembering that. I for, she's a porno actress, I believe. Uh, uh, she's an adult film. My sorry, you're right. I sit corrected. One of and the she, greatest. One that of the is greatest. a. I'm sorry. That is a funny scene with Bernie Mac early on, and I don't want to give anything away. It listen. Uh, Sergio and I don't always see eye to eye on movies. I love Get Out. He didn't like it that much. Uh, what else did we not see eye to eye on? I'm trying to think. Actually, but we, we both. I think we both agreed on Us. Oh, yeah, I loved Us. Right. Uh, yeah. And we, we both, both agreed on um, on um, Spike's last movie. Uh, uh, to Five Bloods. Right. Uh, we, we'd, uh, by the way, we'd have a download. Uh, Sergio, myself, and Danielle uh, Scruggs discussing To Five Bloods. Uh, and uh, you can check that out some other time. Anyway, all right. Uh, so uh, a tribute to Bernie Mac, and not necessarily Soul Men, but a tribute to Bernie Mac. We're not going to talk about John Cass and his uh, Elders of Zion article? All right, let's discuss it. I've already uh, spent a good deal of time. Since you mentioned it, let's uh, talk about it. Uh, at the outset of the show, I mentioned and uh, I read the uh, editor's note uh, that the Tribune uh, editor-in-chief wrote, uh, Sergio, explaining why John Cass, oh, excuse me, why nobody would uh, be on page two. No columnist would yeah. appear on page two. They were moving them all to the back pages. And I had to take exception with this because I feel that all the other columnists were being sort of unfairly treated. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't write any abusive column uh, that used uh, anti-Semitic tropes from like the 
14th century uh, against George Soros. It was one particular columnist who did that. And so they're 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 sending uh, uh, Darlene Glanton or Mary Schmeech, Rick Hupke, Heidi Stevens. They're all going to the back pages. And uh, I so I pointed that out. Did you read the column by Cass? Uh, did you or are you one of those people who don't read Cass columns? Well, I don't read Cass because usually Cass Usually, what he writes about is, you know, Chicago be a great city. It wasn't also it wasn't for all those black people in it, um, which is usually the tone of his pieces. Uh, the 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 fact that he wrote something like this doesn't surprise me. Uh, he's written a lot of outrageous things before, um, but you're right. I think that uh, I didn't know that. I thought I read that they pushed him off page two. I didn't read that they pushed everybody off. Oh yeah, um, what, right. Because they don't want to single him alone. Has anybody else in the Tribune written anything as remotely controversial as articles that Cass has written? No, of course not. Well, I, I would change the word controversial to offensive because okay. I don't I don't okay. have any problem with a controversial column. Uh, that's what columnists do. They they raise all kinds of issues. But uh, uh, what you just said was so accurate. Chicago would be a that, just, that is the tone of so many of John Cass articles or columns. Uh, and uh, so I don't there was the one uh, columnist whose name I can't recall who wrote a column a few years back, Sergio, and I'm not making this up, that uh, said Chicago needs a Hurricane Katrina. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, that piece. To right, destroy right. the public schools. And I'm like, right. wow, that is pretty offensive. Like, a Hurricane Katrina did more than destroy the public education system of New Orleans so they can replace it with charters. It, like, wiped out whole neighborhoods and killed many, many people. So I found that pretty offensive as well. Don't you agree? Right. I remember that article. It was a woman who wrote it. I can't remember her name. Yeah. Um, and when I refer to the Elders of Zion, for those of you who don't know what that is, Elders of Zion was this tract, this book that was written in Tsarist Russia, like around the turn of the 20th century, which basically said that Jewish people were uh, were the cause of all the ills in the world. And there was this whole vast conspiracy that th they were doing to take over the world. And that book, which it was all made up of lies and distortions, not even distortions, that's flat out lies. And that book went around. Was that a plane? Yeah. That book went around, and I I, mean, it, I don't know if it's actually being published still today, but um, it, 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 it's, it's used as the basis for anti-Semitism. It's one of the basis of the book. I mean, it was anti-Semitism before the book was written, but uh, after the book came out, people used this as proof. Right. So when you hear proof in quotes, proof in right. air quotes. Right. right. When you always hear these attacks of George Soros, that George Soros is doing this, or he's planning that, that all goes back to Ellis of Zion. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, I am not surprised that John Cass would write a piece like that. 
never mind. I never read them. I don't read them. I've read things before in the past that's gotten me so angry. I, you know, it's the best thing to do is just ignore him completely. Well, here's here, here's an issue, and I and I'll get your thoughts on this. Uh, when John Cass. Uh, wrote that column and he talked the, the theme of the column is that George Soros controls mm. Kim Fox. Kim Fox uh-huh. is the Cook County State. Yeah, George Attorney. Soros controls everything, right? Yeah. But in particular he was talking about Kim Fox. You're right. But he it's like George Soros controls all these prosecutors. So any prosecutor who is uh at saying that we should be a little less what punitive in regards uh to criminal defense or to criminal justice issues. Just don't throw people in the jail for possession, you know, of uh, minor uh, minor quantities of drugs or for shoplifting. Any prosecutor does that is a puppet of George Soros. That was the theme. And you're right. It goes right back to it's a dog whistle to people who believe in this trope about uh, Jews controlling the world. And what was imperative for the Tribune to do at that moment, because the ADL had spoke out against it, the Forward, which is a Jewish publication, Sergio had spoke out against it. So what was imperative for the Chicago Tribune to do was address the central issue raised in John Cass's column and assure readers that they don't support that. Or maybe Cass's point was something else other than what we thought it was. But instead, what do they do? They avoid the issue altogether and they write this move, sending all the columnists to the back pages, is not directed at any single column or single columnist, nor is it a decision taken lightly. We've been working on this structure and this prototype page for months. So, Sergio, they duck the central issue, which is the one you raised, and they leave it to listener uh, readers to wonder. Would they find that an acceptable column if it was on the back pages as opposed to page two as the location were the problem? I find that very upsetting. What about you? Well, yeah, it is. And it doesn't make sense. And can't they fire him? Um, You would have thought that an article like that, there have been other columnists who have written pieces. I'm not saying for the Tribune, but written other columns, controversial columns for other publications, which who uh, were fired. So they can't fire Cass. I don't know. I uh, I do not know the answer to that question, Sergio. I don't know what the policies are. They're not. They're so far removed from firing. They might, they won't even admit that what he wrote was like offensive. Right. So. Uh, anyway, yeah, so all right, uh, that's the Chicago Tribune. All right, uh, you had sent me a, a, a text. You wanted to talk about vice presidential uh, candidates that Joe Biden was going to select. Wasn't that you that sent me that text? Yeah, I think I did, right. I sure did, right. All right, right. go ahead. So, uh, you know, on, the, on your previous appearances I've been on the show, I've been making all these predictions. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, first is this person, then it's going to be that person, and then that person, and it's going to be that person. Okay, I'm going to make my last final prediction of who Trump is going to pick as his vice presidential candidate. Just a second person, too. But I think the person is going to be, drumroll, I think it's going to be, okay, I think it's going to be Susan Rice. Wow, that was that's vastly different than the. Per- I can't. Re- Did you predict the governor of Michigan the last time we were on the show, or was that, that was my days? first prediction? My I very see. first prediction was going to be uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah, that's that your my very first prediction. Okay. Um, 
but you know things change things change in a lot now of course because of the protest and uh, the um the reaction to the george floyd um uh murder not situation was a murder um you know things have radically changed and i think it's very clear that that um Biden is going to have to pick a black presidential candidate or my second choice, a person of color. That is, um, of course, Tammy Duckworth. Okay. Tammy Duckworth may be my second choice, but I think it's going to be Susan Rice. Uh, She has some disadvantages. Of course, she has really no experience in political campaigns. She's always been on the diplomatic side. Mm -hmm. You know, how will she work as a candidate? But we're in different times now. Uh, And the situation that it is that she really won't be going out making speeches to mass large crowds audiences that sort of thing number two she's somebody she's somebody that um biden is comfortable with they've worked together uh he knows her she knows him i think he'll go for somebody who he knows he can work with not somebody who he has to learn who the person is that's usually the case mm-hmm. with vice presidential candidates uh the president the presidential nominee picks somebody who m- they may not particularly know or like kennedy and johnson okay um bush and uh, the first bush bush and uh, quail um obama and biden you know, they, not necessarily they're the, they, they weren't friends. They weren't the closest of friends. They probably didn't even know each other, but they be, they develop a working relationship. Here it's different. You know, he knows her. He works, he's worked with Weiss. He knows her strengths, right? So I think it's going to be her. Wow. And uh, you, when you said Tammy Duckworth, she adds, she adds a level of class and dignity to the office. Mm-hmm. And also she's no, she's no, um, you remember how they used to say no drama, Obama? Yeah. No drama with her. All you right, know, now you said, you said your second choice was Sammy Duckworth, uh, Sammy Duckworth, it's Tammy it's Duckworth. Duckworth yeah. yeah. Did you mean you you would like to see him choose Tammy Duckworth? Or did you think if you were predicting uh, that you thought that she would is the second person he would take uh, if it wasn't Susan Rice? What, are you That's supporting? What I mean, I mean if for some reason, it's Rice, he may go with Duckworth. I got it. And so what's your thoughts about Tammy Duckworth as a vice president? Tammy Duckworth also adds a lot. She's from the Midwest. She has a really compelling life story. Uh, She's a woman of color, of course, uh, military background. She is a decorated, wounded Iraq war veteran. You can't beat that. Yeah. By the way, and you have. uh, And she's a moderate. You have been. Stayed away from Kamala Harris from the get-go. You've ne- I, I think going back to 2019, you have not been a fan of Kamala Harris. So no. you don't think he's going to pick her, huh? No. No. No, well, first of all, don't forget what she said about him during the campaign. Um, and as a matter of fact, when she she was asked about that, like, a th- uh, I saw an interview of, with her three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and she was asked about that. Well, what about those statements you made about him during the campaign? You probably were comparing him to George Wallace, you know. And, you know, she did her usual phony laugh. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, oh no, that was just politics. That's what she said. That was just politics. Well, lady, if 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 you're gonna if you're saying that you're just cynical and make statements like that because it's politics, then what do you really believe in? Mm-hmm. You know? What did you what did you really believe in? So, um, no, uh, you know, and I'm sure probably some comments. You know, I was never a fan of hers. And on top of that, uh, she ran a lousy campaign. She ran a lousy campaign. Yeah. One of the main reasons why she dropped out was because she didn't get black support. Yeah, most of the black support went to most Joe Biden. We talked about that. Joe Biden. And yeah. once again, let me emphasize, there's no real enthusiasm for Joe Biden, but what he's got is he's not Trump. And number two, he's boring. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. The fact that, look, Bush has, I mean, sorry, Trump has worn me out. He has worn me out. Every day there is something. Every week, like he didn't go to John Lewis's funeral. Now you can say he wasn't asked to be there. But the fact that you have a sitting president who's not even asked to be at a funeral at John Lewis. I mean, can you imagine that? It's always something. There's always an incident. There's always drama. There's always a scandal. There's always an embarrassment. People are tired. I'm tired. You're tired. Everyone is tired. Yeah. You know, we want somebody, people are looking for somebody who at least for the next four years. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, it's, you mentioned the John Lewis thing and, um, uh, I had a, our, our mutual friend, uh, Sergio, uh, just let this out. Sergio and I are uh, friends with Monroe Anderson, who comes on here every uh, Wednesday. And Monroe was talking about his own personal reflections of John Lewis uh, last week. It was really interesting. I don't know if you heard it, uh, but it was he was he positioned John Lewis at a phase in American history in the 1960s when he Monroe was a young a student uh, at, at University of Indiana and John Lewis was too conciliatory in his uh-huh. worldview. He was uh, more into Stokely Carmichael. Uh, John Lewis has become uh, since those days in the mid 1960s, but a real important national figure, somebody that traditionally you would think uh sergio that all americans can agree was a hero you know he for for the cause of equal rights he walked across a bridge into the face of troopers who slammed his head with batons you know what i mean he like he 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 put his life on the line and yet donald trump what doesn't even have the dignity to pay respect to him. And I think that's part and parcel, Sergio, what you're getting at, that people are sick and tired of having a president who can't even do something like just because what, they're in opposite parties, he can't show any kind of uh, empathy or sympathy to the cause. Why do you think Donald Trump stayed away from it? In your opinion, when you look at that, why do you think Donald Trump just refused to go uh, to, to pay well, tribute as I to said, I, I have heard that the Lewis family asked that he, he that he would not be present. And when you're disinvited from a funeral, even if you disagree with someone, if you're disinvited from a funeral, that's not good. Okay. Now, suppose now, and then I saw a reporter uh, 
talk about this this morning on MSNBC about why he didn't go. Another reason is that in Trump's mind, this plays to his white base. That he feels that um, if he if he appeared, I'm not even sure he even sent condolences. That somehow that would get his voters, his supporters angry, and he wouldn't go. Look, this is a president who, and this was reported in the New York Times yesterday, when he found out that Fauci threw out the first baseball at the Washington Nationals game. <laughs> yeah said, oh, well, you know, the head, the, the, the owner of the Yankees is a friend of mine, and he invited me to throw out the first baseball at his game. The Yankees did not invite him. Yeah. There was nothing like that. He did, I mean, this is, this is a child. And so his team, his, his, uh, his staff, had to somehow contact the Yankees and figure out how could they get them to invite him to come to throw out the first baseball. Of course, it all didn't work out. And then Trump said, oh, because of the China virus, I cannot uh, be there because I'm so busy. You know, look, I have, I can't go anywhere. I can't even go to Canada. I have a passport. I've had a passport literally since I was three years old. I've had a passport since I was three years old. And I can't go anywhere. I can't go to Europe. I can't go to all of Africa, any country in Africa except one. I can't go to Asia. I can go to Canada. And I go like, have you ever heard of a situation like that where Americans are not even invited and not even allowed to come into a country? This is, you know, I don't look. It's only 98 days away. And to me, that's 98 days too long. Mm. He has to go. I don't mean today. He has to go yesterday. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let me ask you this. And we, the, I think the, the last time we were on was before uh, the looting and the rioting that uh -huh. took place uh, mm -hmm. Memorial Day weekend. And I talked to you right after that. Uh, almost all the grocery stores in your neck of the wood had been uh, vandalized and they were closed. You didn't know where you were going to get your basic groceries, uh, et cetera, and so forth. Sergio lives in Hyde Park on the south side of Chicago. Uh, so when you put think about that, uh, Sergio, and you see the ongoing disturbances in, uh, in Portland, are you concerned that there will be a white backlash for Donald Trump that uh, is that people are ashamed to admit to pollsters that they're going to vote for Donald Trump, but when they're in the confines of the voting booth, uh, they'll vote for him. Are you are you concerned about that? Well, um, that has always been a fear of mine. That was a fear of mine for a long time. Uh, I don't have that fear anymore. Uh, in terms of the situation in Portland, keep in mind those are almost all exclusively white people who are protesting in 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 Portland um, now. Let me just clarify something. In Hyde Park, all the stores have reopened except for one. Um, and right now it's a little iffy. And you know what? I haven't passed by it lately, so I don't even know if it's they're working on it. Um, uh, unfortunately, two of the Walgreens in my neighborhood, there are basically three in my community. Uh, two of them are closed. Okay. One is open. Um, I don't know when the other two will open, but everything else is pretty much open already. I mean, it's back to normal. Um, 
But in terms of going back to your question, in terms of is there a secret Trump voter, uh, I used to think that. I'm not really that worried about it anymore. And one of the reasons why is because um, if you look at every poll, if you look at even just an article I was reading today, it was so it's somewhat a microcosm. This article in which a somebody went to uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, Biden's hometown, which is basically Democrat, but there were a lot of uh, uh, Trump voters there. If you read his article, um, people are disgusted. Even people who supported Trump the first time are simply disgusted. They're disgusted with his behavior. They're disgusted with the fact that he has done nothing in terms of this virus, which I call the Andromeda strain or the Satan bug, if you know that picture. Um, And and they they had it. Like I said, I was talking, like I said before, people have had it. They're tired. Now, in terms of the map, I've been figuring this out. Uh, this is why I think Trump, this could be the biggest blowout since Dukakis. I really believe that. I would do a title was 88. This yes. could be the biggest blowout since Dukakis. Um, I think Biden's going to win every state on the East Coast from Virginia to Maine and Florida. And right now he's ahead of North Carolina. He Now, he doesn't need North Carolina, but he gets North Carolina. That's it. Uh, he's going to win uh, Arizona. Arizona's guaranteed. Uh, he's going to win Arizona, Colorado, uh, which means Cory Gardner is out. Uh, uh, New Mexico, Nevada, and I think he's going to win Utah. I think he can actually pull oh off Utah. Oh, my God. You're, if what? He pulls out Utah, that's it. It's death game set. Man. Wait a minute. Hold it. What yeah. are you smoking? And can I have some of it? You, sure. I'll introduce you to my dealer. Has Utah ever gone Democrat? Uh, maybe when Johnson ran in 64. Last time Utah voted for a Democratic candidate was Johnson in 64. I looked that up. Now, two things. First of all, Mormons, okay, in 2016, Trump got 47% of the vote. Clinton got 27% of the vote. But Ewan Ewan McMullen, who was that third-party Mormon, you know, ran the third party, he got 22% of the vote in Utah. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that if he didn't run, all those votes would have gone to Hillary Clinton, but it would have been closer. The more the, the, it, Trump was never has never been that popular in Utah. Never, particularly not with the Mormons. They they don't like him. They think he's ungodly. Okay. So I think he can pull it off. I think Trump is. I, I'm sorry. I think Biden's going to win all the West Coast. And and uh, not you, uh, not Wyoming. He's going to win all the West Coast, and then he's going to get Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, of course, Illinois. I'm not sure about Ohio. Ohio is not really a swing state. All right, I, uh, all right. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh, say this right now. And I think that's it. He's if got he it. wins Utah. Uh, I'm buying you breakfast at the Pancake House on 47th Street, which I've been missing so much because of the pandemic. I can't go there. Guarantee you he's not going to win Utah, but I look forward to going down there. I'll even pick up Monroe. We'll all go down there and drink. Let me tell you something. Okay. 
Last time someone made a food bet with me, dinner bet with me, that was Monroe Anderson. <laughs> Monroe Roth. And I took him to a fancy restaurant yeah. and one of the most expensive meals there. <laughs> so go ahead. I'm going to take your bet. All right. We're on, I'm man. Gonna, I can't wait for I'm that. I love the pancakes. Blueberry pancakes that high. I'm going to get the omelet and the pancakes on the side. I'm, I'm just salivating over right now. All right. Uh, let me uh, switch gears a little bit. And uh, I'm going to play, ask Dennis to play the cognitive tape uh, in a little bit. He's getting ready for that. I'd really love to get your thoughts on the cognitive uh, tape. But I got to ask you, uh, I can't believe I haven't asked you this already. Columbus statue. Yeah. You, uh, were you in favor of taking it down or are you outraged that it was taken down? What's your thoughts on the Columbus statue? Take that statue down. Uh, Christopher Columbus, all he did was come to the land of my ancestors, Dominican Republic. He, he, he took that, he came to that country. He brought, he brought misery and, okay, this is the history. He comes to Hispaniola. There were two Indian tribes there, the Anoroks and the Caribs, which is where we get the word Caribbean. In 100 years, there were a million of them. In 100 years, there were 100 left. And that was due to slavery. That was due to smallpox, which the Europeans brought, and also due to syphilis, which also the Europeans brought, which was unknown then, okay? So uh, they're thinking, damn, who's going to do all the work now? You know, we've heard that in Brazil, they killed off all those Indians too, but they brought in these Africans to do the slave work and it's worked out pretty well. Why don't we try it here? And that's how the whole ball of wax began. Yeah. So no, take all the statues on Christopher Columbus and take down all the statues of those Confederate traitors because they were traitors. Ladies and gentlemen, they were traitors. They weren't heroes. These are people who rose up against a legitimate government to uh, to continue the practice of slavery. These are not heroes. Every single Confederate statue should be brought down. Everywhere. Uh, I'm with you 100 percent of that, Sergio. Uh, I was just thought Sergio is known for some contrarian views every now and then. Just curious. Uh, but no, I'm with you 100 uh, percent. All right. D, you got that? Uh, uh, that that trumpet. I just I got it. Uh, well, Frank wants to ask Sergio a question here. Uh, Frank's wondering: uh, Does Sergio think that Biden can carry Alabama? No, he can't carry. Wait a minute. Monroe thinks he can. Yes, Monroe. I got a bet with Monroe. <laughs> I got I got two bet. Monroe, in a moment of delusion, Frank, and I think Frank probably heard it, said Biden will win Alabama. I go, Monroe, you are crazy. Now, you see, here's the thing. You should ask Monroe what he's smoking. <laughs> well, I know what he's smoking. Uh, I've known Monroe for a long, long time, okay? Uh, yeah, I so, uh, it's so marijuana. Monroe, <laughs> like, it's like, no. Monroe, I know what he's smoking. Yeah. So, uh, uh, it, I, uh, it, it must be from a different planet. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. I got yeah, the audio sorry. here. Uh, yeah, I got the audio. Uh, by the way, it's marijuana that he's smoking. We don't want our listeners to think anything else. All right. Oh, yeah. No, come on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Monroe, yeah. not. Uh, OK, here we go. Beauty test. And he said there actually is. And he named it, whatever it might be. And it was 30 or 35 questions. The first questions are very easy. The last questions are much more difficult. 
like a memory question. It's uh, like you'll go person, woman, man, camera, TV. So they say, could you repeat that? So I said, yeah. So it's person, woman, man, camera, TV. Okay, that's very good. If you get it in order, you get extra points. If you, okay, now he's asking you other questions, other questions, and then 10 minutes, 15, <laughs> 20 minutes later, they say, remember the first question? Not the first, but the 10th question? Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go person, woman, man, camera, TV. If you get it in order, you get extra points. They said nobody gets it in order. It's actually not that easy, but for me it was easy. And that's not an easy question. In other words, they ask it to you, they give you five names and you have to repeat them, and that's okay. If you repeat them out of order, it's okay, but, but you know, it's not as good. But then when you go back about 20, 25 minutes later and they say, go back to that question, they don't tell you this, go back to that question and repeat them. Can you do it? And you go, person, woman, man, camera, TV. They say, that's amazing. How did you do that? I do it because I have like a good memory because I'm cognitively there. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, um, you know what? I have to tell you. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I hear that, mm-hmm. I always think of John Casales in Godfather 2 Fredo. I'm smart. People think I'm dumb, but I'm smart. I'm smart. You know, um, that's a great scene, by the way. Yeah, but that's what you uh, might be because yeah. he thinks it was an IQ test. Yeah. <laughs> it's an IQ test. It's a, it's a test if you have dementia, you know, okay. But anything that makes people, he, he thinks it makes him look smart. And what it, what when he does that, he's so dumb. You know, as I said, I've been telling people, I really changed my opinion about Trump. I used to think he was stupid. Now I'm convinced, like, he's really, really stupid. I mean, he's really the dumbest person we've ever had as a president. We've had some dumb people, but my God, he is beyond wait, Now, wait, hold on. Let me ask you this. First of all, by the way, you, you got to see it uh, to really appreciate it. I, I'm going to go on a tangent here because he's talking to, a, I think it's a Fox TV their medical correspondent and Trump's going on. He keeps coming back to person, woman, man, camera, TV, uh, which is his exhibit a of how incredibly on top of things he is. And the doctor is looking at him with like the look on his face is I'm going to be as passive as I can because he sounds like a raving lunatic, uh, but I'm not going to show that. Right. And I've had that moment so many times in this administration, uh, Sergio, uh, the, the most obvious to me is when Kanye West was talking to Trump. I don't know if you remember that scene. And the, oh, it was God. Trump looking at Kanye West going, this guy is freaking crazy, but I'm not going to go there because right now he's wearing a MAGA hat. Uh, so this is moments where there's there's sustaining anything you believe in. And when they do that, do you think it's a sign? See, I'm not sure I agree with you that it's a sign that he's not intelligent. I think it's a, more or less a sign that he thinks Americans are not intelligent and that they'll fall for him. There's a difference. You see the difference? No, no, he's not. He's not that good. 
I don't think he's that clever enough to figure that out. You know, uh, I mean, he's a con man, but um, I don't, but he's not smart enough to realize that people can see through his con. You know, I don't, do you know who Sarah Cooper is? Oh, that's who we, we, uh, that bit that Dennis played is actually Sarah Cooper because right. we talk about her all the time on the show because Sarah Cooper, she does the lip singing of Trump. But if you really want to get the best uh, audio of Donald Trump, what you do is you play a Sarah Cooper bit and it's just you don't see it because we can't see Sarah Cooper. So literally what Dennis just played was Sarah Cooper doing there, her bit. There is a, there's another comedian by the name of Coven, C-A-U-V-I-N. He's on Twitter a lot. He does the single best impression of Trump you ever want to hear. It, oh, it is amazing. It's uncanny. He also does Pence. <laughs> and um, that's also very funny, too. With the president's bold leadership, as we go through this situation, thanks to the president's bold leadership, but it's because of his bold leadership that we have. I mean, he does it so well. Yeah. I got it here if you guys want to um, hear it. Yeah, let's play it. Yeah. All right, here we go. Oh, wait. Right there about that fake news. Just got a question right. No, I will not be throwing out the first pitch on August 15th at the great Yankee Stadium, one of our great places for sports. And, you know, because we're going to be doing very strong meetings, we're having strong meetings on coronavirus, which is so important. Nobody knew, even a month ago, nobody knew how tough this thing was. Everybody thought it was going to fade away, and it turns out it is fading away. But not everywhere, not everywhere. There's some places, you know, places that love Trump, that vote for Trump, you know, that might vote for Mountain Dew and bath salts if that were on the ballot against Trump, but because they're not, they love Trump. And we've got to protect these great Americans. Bam. That guy is good. Yeah, he's very good. Very good. That guy is good. Uh, he, he's good. That is, that's some funny stuff. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll close with this. And uh, uh, Sergio, uh, at various points, you've come on the show and talked about uh, your issues with Twitter. Uh, you've been kicked off, I think, <laughs> once or twice. I've lost count of how many times Sergio's been kicked off of Twitter. No, it no, seems no. not. No, just but, once. No, I, only once. I'm only back. Once. Okay, on my apologies. And a pseudonym, you know. Oh, okay, <laughs> don't say what it is. But my friends, they know. They know okay. my hand. Okay? So let me ask you this: Do you think that? Uh, uh, Twitter's heading in a good direction these days. They they vowed uh, to be uh, more decisive and getting rid of just blatantly racist, anti-Semitic uh, garbage, you know, whacked out conspiracy theories that are endangering the public health. Uh, do you feel as though they're going to be a little uh, what, uh, more uh, defensive, if you will? A protective of the American well, people. Well, okay, number one, every little bit helps, okay? Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two, how can that be if they still allow Trump to treat whatever he wants? Um, num okay, it's number two. Number three, keep in mind, folks, I was banned not because, of course, I didn't say anything sexist or racist. I criticized a movie, okay? 
and uh, some people had some objection. Evidently, they got a lot of objections about this movie that I criticized. So um, I still, and, and since then, I will admit that it makes me a little tenuous at times when I post something, if I want to go after somebody, because like, oh, brother, what would happen if I post this? Mm-hmm. But uh, so far, so good. Um, but still, there's still a lot of work for Twitter to get his act together. Okay. Now I know we, I think, no, sorry. Was it Facebook that recently threw out a lot of these QAnon people? Uh, once again, that's a step in the right direction. Um, but once again, there's still some things that Facebook can do to improve uh, what they're doing. I know one of the reasons why they did it is because a lot of advertisers have been leaving Facebook yeah. because they have been upset about uh, what's been going on there, uh, which brings up the question, how is it that, uh, who's that guy on Fox? Uh, Tucker Carlson mm. is still on Fox when he probably can't get advertising anymore. I don't know how Fox is making money off of him because he's been bleeding advertisers like crazy. Mm. So, um, once again, a step in the right direction. Now, is the Chief can just get rid of John Cass? Well, uh, they're not following your advice on that. They're simply moving him to the back pages. Uh, all right, Sergio, thank you so much. Uh, for being on the show. It's always a blast talking to you. If anybody wants any information about Black Harvest Film Festival, what should they do? Where should oh, they so go? Go to uh, the Gene Cisco website, which is Cisco, S-I-S-K-E-L, CiscoFilmCenter.org. And um, more information will be up to date on the festival. As I said before, you won't find anything right now because we did had we did we did extend our submission date until September first. Usually it's the first weekend in June, but we moved it back to September first. So after that date, you'll be seeing more news festival and the dates and the films we're showing. And as I said before, it's not perfect. But we still had to make some kind of presence this year. And hopefully, keep your fingers crossed, we'll be back in full force as normal next year. I got my fingers crossed. All right. Thank you very much, Sergio Mims. And I always appreciate when you come on the show. And I love that prediction about uh, Biden winning Utah. And I'm really looking forward to uh, my pancakes at the (laughs) pancakes. Because that ain't happening. All right, DB, uh, before we head out the door, any updates you want to offer us? Uh, Thanks to Frank, by the way, on the live stream chat. He reminded us that Monroe also predicted that uh, Trump would win Mississippi. Oh, (laughs) Trump. (laughs) Monroe. I love you. You're a dear friend, but good God. <laughs> that ain't happening either. Oh, God. All right. We do, ha- we, we do have an update here. Uh, the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the second hardest working writer in the building. Yes, it's Tommy Two Joints, Tom Shuba. Oh, Tommy Two Joints. The headline mm-hmm. reads, as new pot licenses delayed indefinitely, global accounting firm pockets $7 million from state to rank applicants. When the operators of Illinois' medical marijuana businesses were given first crack at growing and selling recreational weed in 
the state. Everyone else looking to break into the new industry was forced to wait months to even pay for licenses. They then saw their prospects put on hold when the COVID-19 pandemic brought everything to a halt. Meanwhile, one company that doesn't even deal in cannabis has profited handsomely in that time. KPMG, a quote, big four accounting firm based in the Netherlands with nearly $30 billion in revenues last year, was awarded nearly $7 million in no bid contracts to grade applications for new recreational pot licenses. And this is according to records obtained by the Chicago Sun-Times. KPMG is getting nearly $4.2 million through a contract with the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation, which oversees dispensaries and two point $5 million from the Illinois Department of Agriculture, which is tasked with regulating cultivation operations and other cannabis business. The payments to the firm amount to more than 12% of the state's $52.8 million in cannabis tax revenues during the first six months of recreational legalization. State officials didn't open up the contracts to competitive bidding to speed up the process, but as it turned out, the delay in issuing 75 licenses to run pot dispensaries came in part because of a travel ban KPMG instituted in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak and a provision in its contract with the state requiring the applications be picked up by hand. Yeah, uh, Thomas Shuba, good job with this story. Very frustrating. As everybody knows, this is our show. We have uh, uh, many uh, black entrepreneurs come on the show uh, talking about how they've been locked out of this market, how they're waiting uh, to get a license. It's really frustrating. And I was re reading Tommy's article today and thinking, I mean, this accounting firm is getting $7 million before a black owned dispensary gets a license. And if you recall, part of the motivation, at least from my perspective, for legalizing reefer in this state uh, was you wanted to reform the criminal justice system. Uh, you wanted to end this insane war on drugs and you wanted to have some fairness and equity. Uh, and uh, so come on, state of Illinois, let's get this thing uh, settled. I know my dear friend, Toy Hutchinson, uh, she's quoted in the article uh, and she's Pritzker's uh, pointee overseeing this toy. You know, I love you dearly, but come on. Let's get these licenses out there, get a little equity in the state of Illinois when it comes to legalized reefer. And hey, Toy, come on the show sometime again. My goodness, we haven't had her on in, like a, in almost like a year, right? No, we have. Toy hasn't been on since she got the new gig. Okay, she came on all the time as a state senator, and she's a great guest, by the way. Uh, she should have her own radio show. That's a whole other story. Uh, but maybe when she's done with this gig, she'll have her own radio well, show. Now yeah, that now they now that we do guest. now that we do Google Meet. Maybe we can get her on from the uh, convenience of her own house. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could be a possibility. Uh, we got one more update here. Uh, let's see here. The following comes from the Chicago Tribune, but I found it from the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard. The one, the only Rich Miller. Uh, a Madigan, eight, uh, Madigan Gate update here. Uh, the headline reads, despite ComEd's deferred prosecution agreement, attorney says company would plead not guilty if need be. ComEd made its first court appearance today since being hit with the bombshell federal bribery charges involving Mike Madigan's political operation. And if all goes as planned, it may be one of the company's last. In a brief hearing at the Dirksen U.S. Courthouse, prosecutors and lawyers for ComEd agreed that a formal arrangement next week, the company would not have to return to court until 2023 when a three-year deferred prosecution agreement with the government is set to expire. Assistant U.S. Attorney uh, Amarjeet Bashu, probably butchered that, told the judge that due to the deferred prosecution agreement, ComEd does not have to enter a plea 
at its August 5th arrangement. This is from Reed Char, the lead attorney for ComEd. And uh, Reed Char also said if the company did enter a plea, it would be not guilty. Yeah. All right. That part of the deal they caught, they caught, but they're still kicking in 200 million. Uh, so listen, they admit they did X, Y, Z. They put it out there. They stipulated it and they say they're paying 200 million. All this is uh, other stuff is like technicalities. Uh, and uh, Democrats should do the right thing and move on, in my humble opinion, from the Michael Joseph. And I say this uh with a lot of gratitude and appreciation for Michael Madigan standing up for collective bargaining rights during the rounder years. But uh, this has gone too far, D. Come on, Democrats. It's time to move on. All right. Well, that's our show today, everybody. We appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, live stream chat. You guys are awesome. As always, if you're downloading, keep downloading. And be sure to download our part two tonight. It's going to be available by 7 p.m. Ben, who's on there again? Uh, John Schleuss will be there from the uh, Newspaper Guild. So... All right. It's going to be awesome. Both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, uh, or Chicago Reader and Chicago Sun-Times websites, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Uh, it looks like our friend Persnickety on the live stream chat is getting a little worried. He says, man, if things get too bad here in Illinois, I'm moving into the porta potty by Ben's house <laughs> and eating leftover pancakes. <laughs> Because you talk yeah, about pancakes all the time. You're always oh, betting people I'm pancakes. I'm, I'm hungry, man. All right. Uh, that porta potty has been pretty busy the last uh, couple days. So oh, that is disgusting. <laughs> all right. And be sure to follow us uh, at Benny J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can send us an email, Benny J Show at gmail.com, B E N N Y, the letter J Show. And hey, you can leave us a voicemail if you'd like. That's right. We have a phone number. Apparently, all the 773 and 312 numbers were taken because we have have a 708 number 708-658-4788 that number again 708-658-4788 we'll see everybody on wednesday all right i want to thank sergio mims for doing an outstanding job uh, black harvest film festival and of course the man the myth the legend the pride and joy of alton illinois without whom this show would be possible and as sergio mims can tell you back home at Alton, they call him dennis uh give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash see you tomorrow everybody The enemy is you. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out. And I'm going to make you walk home. Number two. Let's begin with phase one. Not something you ignore. I think you're 100% right.